How are you? I, uh, <clears throat> I'm used to speaking at night to these college students that are around here. That's why I brought them, just so that they would cheer for me, I guess. So thank you for that. Yeah. Wow. Impromptu. All right. I uh, also want to say uh, happy Father's Day to me. I don't know if you've uh, noticed my new tie that I got. This is a very beautiful tie. I wasn't going to wear it, but uh, the one who made it decided to stay here in the back and not go to nursery, so I I'm decided to keep it on, if that makes any, <laughs> any sense to you. If it's distracting to you, uh, just look away, I guess. So. Well, it is uh, good to be with you. Happy Father's Day to you fathers that are in the room. I want to go ahead and jump on in, and I want to start this morning with a story. Uh, right after graduation from college, I got a job working for an en engineering firm called Fleur. It was uh, back in the mid-90s, and um, to be quite honest, it was uh, by, by my dad's help that I got my foot in the door. He actually worked at this engineering firm for years uh, before I got there, and uh, it was through his networking, through his contacts, that they actually allowed me to be interviewed. Got the job and um, really enjoyed uh, the three years that I worked there before I got into ministry. Had no plans of getting into ministry, had all the plans in the world to stay there in the engineering world and continue. God had other, other plans for me. Um, well, during that time, um, I befriended a guy that I worked with that, to be quite honest with you, he was very intimidating to me. He was not a, a believer, and, he, and the stories about him were like he was the wildest guy. So whenever we would have clients that were away, whenever we would travel, the stories would come back about my friend Jeff. And, um, and I, but I had a heart for him, and I invited him to church um, from time to time. And that's about all of our extent when it came to sharing the gospel with him. Well, one Saturday, I was at work overtime. There's just about maybe five to ten of us on the floor. And out of the blue, I hear his voice from a couple cubicles over, and he's like, hey, Gijo. And uh, so I walk over there, he kind of meets me in the hallway, and he says, um, are you going to church tomorrow? I want to go with you. And I'm like, really? Like you? And he's a little bigger guy, stocky guy, uh, good-looking guy, wild guy. And I'm like, sure, yeah, you come to church with me tomorrow. And um, sure enough, God was at work in this man's life, and God was doing some amazing things. And um, that next Monday, I said, well, let's go to lunch. I want to hear why you wanted to go to church, and we have lunch together. And I began to hear his story of what God was doing in his life. And for the next um, few months, he and I would pretty much have lunch three to five times a week. And I had the chance of seeing him come to Christ, grow in the gospel, just take off like a weed, 180 degrees the other way from uh, the stories that I heard about him. And to this day, he's walking with God and um, an amazing man. Well, he said to me it's at one of these lunches, we need to have lunch with my other friend who used to work with us. He's on the, an, another firm across town. He's my only other Christian friend. I would love for you guys to meet. So sure enough, we meet. And after a while, us three are going to lunch regularly, getting into the Word, uh, sharing the gospel, an amazing time. And so we, me and my buddy would meet our other friend uh, like halfway between both of our firms, and we would hang out. Uh, well, my new friend, my, old, my friend that was uh, a new believer was Jeff, and my new friend in the other firm was John. And one day, we're having lunch with John, and John says to me, John, uh, Gijo, I have this Indian friend you might know. His name is Joe Koshi. Do you know him? And, um, and just so you know, I don't see a lot of Indians in the room, but um, <laughs> let me just say this. Um, I have a lot of white friends that have like one Indian friend, and, uh, <laughs> and they always assume that I know them right? Like, uh, 
And uh, the thought that's always in the back of my mind is, there are 1.2 billion Indians <laughs> in the world. I probably don't know your one friend, okay? Uh, and, uh, but this time it was a bit different. Uh, the fact of the matter is I did know Joe Koshy. In fact, I know him really well. The fact is that Joe Koshy is my dad, right? Like, my dad worked with this new friend, John, who used to work at the firm that we worked in, and they sat next to each other. And lo and behold, my friend John's uh, jaws, his, John, his jaws drop, and he's like, you're Joe Koshy's son? I've heard stories about you. You were a wayward child. Like, you were the bane of your dad's existence. Like, oh my goodness. Like, the things you did in high school were worse than Jeff, right? And, and I was like, oh no, oh no. Like, my world is coming together. True story. And I said, yeah, that was me. And uh, yes, that was a past. And um, <clears throat> he just freaks out, right? He's just like, he cannot believe that I am related to Joe. And um, well, the thought that hit me, and the, the point of the story for us this morning is this, is that um, in all of my years of, of um, self-centeredness, self-absorption, just radical rebellion from God and from my family, I had no idea that my dad cared, right? Like, I had no idea that my dad would actually talk to his friends about me. My, my dad was really even, uh, that, I had no idea he knew stuff I did in high school. So, um, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and the story is somewhat emblematic of the simple thought that even though 18 years of my life I lived with this man who was my dad, so much of who he is, I just, I, I, over and over, I would think to myself, who is he? I, I just don't, I don't know him all that well. Well, this morning, that's really kind of the, uh, where I want to go um, with us this morning here, and that is to simply say, do you know your dad, right? Do you know your, your dad? Do you know your heavenly father? Like, what's he like? What's the characteristics of a good dad? What, are, what makes up a good dad, right? Like, um, where does the source of the goodness of a dad come from? And then how do we connect with this dad? So that's really where I want to go this morning. Just simply asking those three questions. Really, what is a good dad? Um, what is the source of the goodness in a good dad? And then finally, how can we connect to this dad? Now, before I jump into a lot of these things in Deuteronomy, I, I want to just simply say this, that I realize that when I speak about fatherhood, I'm going to speak about being a dad in this room, gentlemen. So if you're uh, our dad in the room, I want you to brace yourself because I'm, I'm speaking directly to you. But I realize that when I speak about fatherhood, I speak about it in the ideal, right? And in the ideal of fatherhood includes the parental partnership between a, a, a man and a woman to raise up children. It includes actually having children. It includes staying together, staying in the fight, and seeing them become mature uh, adults, right? Like, and I recognize that when I speak in the ideal, that this room isn't necessarily full of the ideal, I realize that um, some of you here that don't know, don't know your dads, or if you do know your dads, you wish you didn't know your dads, right? Um, I recognize that some of you might be here and you're single and would love to, to have a husband who one day might be a dad or have a wife you can have children with. I realize there are probably single parents in the room, and I also realize there are probably folks that would long to have children but can't. Um, and I realize that I'm speaking out of the ideal, but I, I want you to know some, something, that where the ideal is not present, God's abundant grace is, 
okay? Like where the ideal is not present, God's abundant grace is. My friend John, who I mentioned, he actually was a single um, dad. And I remember at one of those lunches, just crying with him um, because his little girl was being uh, bullied because he didn't know how to braid her hair. And, um, and yet God's grace was abundant and sufficient. And even as I speak, um, this little girl has grown up to be a godly woman, married to a godly man, raising up godly children. Um, where the ideal isn't present, um, God's abundant grace is. So let me jump in. Um, what's a good dad like, right? Like, what's a definition of a good dad? Like, what are the characteristics of a good dad? Well, this morning, as we look at Deuteronomy 6, I believe that Deuteronomy 6 gives us clues like, it gives us hints into what a good dad is like. It's almost like the, the visual picture, the image that came to my mind was that like when you're at a door and there's a peephole and you look into the peephole and you see the other person on the other side, you have a clue as to who's across the way, right, on the other side. Well, Deuteronomy 6 gives us a little bit of a peephole into characteristics of a good dad. So that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Um, so the first characteristic of a good dad from Deuteronomy 6 is that a good dad lives in light of the Father's love for him, right, and the high calling to be a dad, right, the high calling to be a father. The, the, a good dad lives in light of the Father's love and his high calling to be a father. Verse, uh, starting in verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Hear, O Israel, um, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and might. You see, there's another love source here in a relationship between an earthly father and a heavenly father, right? There's a vertical dynamic here of love and he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, that there's another love source. And this, this love is central. This love is unifying. This love is all-encompassing. Do you, do, you, do you sense that from this, that, that this love is meant to be the centerpiece love of your life, dads, okay? The vertical uh, dynamic between you and God. Um, yet this also, uh, with this comes the high calling to be a father. Do you see what comes right after this, Right? Right after, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, minds, I'm sorry, heart, heart, soul, and might. He says, these words I, I command you today shall be on your heart. Fathers, let these words be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The first horizontal kind of direction that this vertical love should go is where? To our children. And it says simply there that you should impress them upon your children. Uh, another translation says that you should teach them diligently. The word there means to sharpen, right? Like it's a work to sharpen. Um, that's simply that there is a high calling on us fathers to be good dads, okay? Maybe another way of saying this, that the measure of a man is not in how much money is in your bank account or all the accolades that you achieve or the status that you have or the career that you have, right? That the measure of a dad is, is um, predicated on the investment and the impact that you make in the lives of your children. You all with me? Like that a man is not a man because of all the things that he does, 
but it's who he invests in. A man is a man and a, and a dad, not just simply in the things that he acquires, the amount of like, stuff he can consume, but rather what he can produce for those that God has put into his life, namely his children. Okay, so you and I have a high calling to be a dad, and this is um, who God has called us to be. This is what God has called us um, into. Point number two, a good dad is one who is both present in their lives, in the lives of their children, and also a provider, okay? That a good dad is one who is both present and a provider. There is an implied expectation in verse 7. Let me read it to you. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There's an implied expectation, And what is that implied expectation? Well, the implied expectation is that you're present with them, right? That you're present in conversation. Like it's very easy for me to be at the dining room table, but not be very present in conversation, right? That you're present with them when they, uh, as you go about your house, as you're sitting in your house, there's actually a presence there because you're able to diligently talk and teach them that when you walk with them, when you get in the car and ride with them, when you go to bed and when you rise up, that there is this expectation that you be present, right? Um, one of the hardest things to do for me when I've had a long, long day at work is to get into my house and to actually turn on, right? Not turn off, right? Like I want to turn on the TV and turn off everything else, but the reality is that that's a call that God has put upon us. I actually have a friend of mine who he sits in his driveway, <laughs> turns off the radio, is not on the phone. As he gets home, he turns the car off, and he just sits in his car for three to five minutes, and he's like, God, give me strength to be present as I walk in the door, right? His, his wife knows about it. She sees him out there. She lets him be. Now, he can't be there for an hour, but uh, <laughs> he's going to be there for five minutes asking God for strength so he can walk in the room, walk into his house and be present. But not only is a, a good dad present, but he's also a provider for, for, um, for his children. And let me just simply say that when I say a provider, I don't mean just a provider for everything that they want, but all that they need, right? Like um, that you as a dad are called to be a, a provider for not just what they want, but what they need. And, and let me just go ahead and tell you, let me just go ahead and lay my cards out there. That is one of the easiest things to say and the hardest things to live out dads, right? Any, any of your children ever want candy, and you always like, and, but they really need some fruit, or they really need a nap, or they really don't need any more sugar, right? Like, uh, it's so much easier for you to say, let me just give them that candy, what they want, not what they need. It's so much easier to say, let me just let them stay awake longer than they need to, but knowing that they need sleep. It's so much easier to let them go out with friends rather than give them what they need, and that's namely time with you or quality time with the family. That's one of the easiest statements to make, and yet one of the most challenging statements to live out. And yet, that's our calling as a dad, to give to our children what they um, need and some of what they want. Thirdly, a good dad both disciplines and trains their children in love, okay? A good dad disciplines and trains their children in love. Verse 20, when your son asks you um, in time to come, Um, What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statues and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Friends, fathers, 
training is involved, okay? Training is involved. I know this can be intimidating, and yet we can do it, right? Like, uh, the thought of especially spiritually training a child is, is incredibly challenging. It's incredibly difficult. There is tension that exists in that. I, um, <clears throat> maybe I should uh, share this from a, probably a passage that's well known to us. Um, there's a proverb that you've heard if you've grown up in the church all of your life. You've heard this a lot. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? Anyone heard that before? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And the idea that we understand in that is that if you, at an early age, train them, good news, in the end, they'll stick with that, Right? Well, I, I do believe there's some truth to that, and I do believe that there's a promise in there, but I also believe that the passage gives us a warning, right? And the warning, the key to the warning in that passage is really in those simple words, in the way that he should go. Y'all with me on this? Now, if you read any of the other Proverbs, you get this language. You've heard it before. <laughs> there's a way that seems right to a man. In the end, it leads to destruction, right? Like that there is a way in which children will go. In other words, training is always happening. There, one or two people are training. Either the child is training you or you are training the child, right? And if you, warning, train them in the way they want to go, promise. Unfortunately, they will not at the end return. Y'all follow? Like, there is a warning in that passage, and let me just tell you something, training is hard, right? If your goal at the beginning or the middle is to be liked, you have a long life ahead of you because your children are not going to like you, right? If that's your goal, I just want to be liked, right? Um, maybe put this way, uh, growing up, I have been hurt by many friends, I've been rejected, by many girls. <laughs> I have been uh, bullied. I've been picked on. I have uh, been hurt by lots of different people. There is no one on this planet that has hurt me more than a little three-year-old boy who I made, right? <laughs> have you ever heard a three-year-old boy say to you, I hate you, Dad? Well, it's pretty hurtful, right? Like, it stings. And, and uh, this is why point number one is so critical, that there's got to be another love source that's, that you're able to say, I don't care, you ain't getting any more candy, right? <laughs> like, uh, can you tell candy's a big deal in our house, right? Like, uh, that's, uh, that's a true statement. So, if you really uh, want to be liked, you're in for a long life. Now, in the end, I hope you are liked, okay? But, uh, but training takes some work. It takes some um, training out of. I, like, like uh, a joke that my wife and I have is that we should have done this early on, like, I had no idea the things I had to train my children in, right? Like, and it's just kind of a joke. I just want a, a book of things that, that someone should have told me I needed to train my child in. And like I, we had a, a dear, dear friend of ours, babysitter, uh, come up at church, and I said, well, go to my three-year-old. Go talk to um, Maggie. And he walks up there, and he pulls her shirt up. And I'm like, oh, no, we got to put that on the list of things we got to train our children not to do. I had no idea. got to train your child. Because uh, in the way that they go, in the end, they won't return. We'll leave that one alone. But um, <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so what is the source of this goodness of a good dad, right? Like, what is the source? Um, where does this goodness come from in a good dad? Well, jump all the way to verse 4, all the way back. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Almighty, our God is one. But the source of this goodness is in a heavenly Father, not here on earth. That the source of this goodness, and these are the words I want to give to you, are from a, a divine daddy, right? A divine daddy. These words are incredibly significant, each one of them, that God, um, that God himself is both divine and a loving near daddy. That God himself is divine. In other words, he is God. He is transcendent. He is all-powerful. He is beyond us. He is not like us. He is beyond us. He is other right? He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's the creator of everything. He has taken nothing and created life out of it. Nothing else can do that, right? We take something and we make something out of it. He took nothing and created substance and, and created life, that He is divine. He's also daddy, meaning that He's near, He's imminent, that He cares, that even as the psalmist says, He's intimately acquainted with all of your ways, right? He's so near. He knows the number of hairs on our head, and He knows the number of stars in the sky. Y'all get that? His transcendence and His imminence, they're not separated out, right? It's not like, well, He just puts on His divine hat, and then He acts like divine God, and then He puts on His daddy hat, that they actually work in concert, and in His economy that's beyond us, they work together as one, um, He's both divine and he's a dad. You see, for us, we have a tendency to kind of break that out, to kind of um, dichotomize or separate those things out. And um, for us who begin to only see God as divine, he's all-powerful, he's creator. There is an unhealthy fear, and this is how you know about fear, because it, it pushes you away from this divine being, not near him, Right? So there, what, what ends up happening, if you just tend to just see him as divine, is he's other and he's distant, right? Like, after all, he's got to be concerned about the big things in this world. He doesn't really care about where I am, how I'm feeling, my longings, my desires, where I live today, right? Like, for some of us, we lean that way, and prayerlessness is a big part of our life because he's distant and he's other, and he's all-powerful, and we come to church, and we pay homage, but we don't know how to get close to him, right? But he's not just divine, but he's also a dad, a daddy who is close, he is near. And for those of us, and I would dare say most of you under 30, probably have a tendency of seeing him more like a dad than a divine creator of the universe. <laughs> for us, Jesus is what? He's our homeboy, right? Like he is, um, he's like an uncle who has a lot of money and he's just really friendly and just gives to you stuff, right? Or maybe like a cosmic ATM machine. You just got to hit the buttons right and do all the right commands, and then he just kicks out what he wants. The problem here, friends, is that when he doesn't fit into your box and he doesn't do the things that you expect him to do, then you begin to go, wait, God, I thought we we're homeboys. Like, what happened here, right? He's not just a daddy, but he's a divine being, right? Like um, Voltaire said this, he said that, Man, I'm sorry, God created man in his own image, and man has sought to return the favor. Like, we have sought to make a God out of our own image. And I'm going to tell you something, and I can say this directly to this crowd right here. You and I do this all the time, okay? We have created this God in our image, and when he doesn't fit, life gets very, very confusing. I share the story um, with this crowd a few weeks ago, and this is um, hard to share, but I'm going to share it with you. Um, the picture that's going to come up is um, of some dear, dear friends of mine I've known since college. 
It's Joe and Carly, they're some friends of mine that live in Jacksonville, Florida. She actually had cancer at the age of 35 and uh, has recovered from that and now at the age of 47 has heart failure. And so she had uh, gone into a hospital about over 100 days now. And uh, just to, one, keep her alive in case anything happened, and two, just be on the ready for a heart transplant. I mean, there's an incredible story in all of that right there. There's only about 20 of those a year that happen in the United States where literally someone dies whose heart is kept alive so that you can live. It's a, there's a ton of stories in that that, um, Stephen, you can preach on later. But, um, well... <clears throat> A few Saturdays ago, uh, we got word that they'd been at the hospital for about 70 days. They thought this would be two to three weeks, and it was like a couple months, and, um, and sure enough, there's a healthy heart, or what they thought was healthy, surgery in the morning, they're going to open her up, heart transplant, this is what they've been waiting for. Well, Sunday morning comes, and I ask Amy, my wife, I'm like, have you seen anything on, on social media? Like, I wonder, wonder how she's doing, and nothing. And so I go and look at my email, Nothing. Well, around 10.30, church starts, or church is going on, and I get an email uh, on my phone. And, and let me just quickly say, I do not condone reading emails in services, okay? So, um, all right, so that's not what I'm saying. But I did get an email from, a fr- from my buddy, and I looked at my phone, and I thought, oh, this is from, from my friend Joe. I want to check it out. Well, um, they get her on the surgical bed and they begin to look at the heart before they open her up, thank the Lord, and they begin to realize this heart, there's something wrong, and they're back to square one. They're devastated. They've been, this is what they've been waiting for and hoping for. And right about that time, I finished reading this message, and we start singing this song, A Good, Good Father, right? And in that song, you hear this line, you're perfect in all your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. And I sat there and I thought, are you? Are you, God? right? He, he doesn't fit in my box. And I had a hard time singing that song at that point because I had to really wrestle with the fact that he's both a divine being and he's my dad. He's a daddy that cares. And the sweet, tender words of my father to me, my heavenly father was, I am perfect in all my ways and I have a love source and tears that you know not of, Okay? So he's both divine and a daddy. Let's keep moving. Um, What is the source? It's a divine dad. How can we connect ourselves to this divine daddy? Well, there's really only one way to connect ourselves, and it's through his son, right? When his disciples ask Jesus the simple question, how do we get to the Father? This is what his answer was, John 14. Jesus answered them and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, it's really through the Son that you and I become sons and daughters of a divine dad, right? That it's only through Jesus himself. Because the fact is, friends, This idea of being a dad, being Abba Father, there's another place where we see this word Abba Father, and it's when Jesus at Gethsemane says, um, take this cup from me, Daddy, and yet not my will, but your will be done, right? That this divine um, person 
gave up his son, he, that he turned his back on his son. He treated his son not like a son so that he would treat you and I like sons and daughters. That the simple fact, friends, is that Jesus himself, he was the only perfect son who lived life in light of the love of God, right? He's the only perfect son who lived the high calling to be a heavenly father. He was the only perfect son who has provided for and is fully present with his children at all times. He's the only perfect son who disciplines and trains his children in love. Like he's the only one. And as we cling to him, right, we have forgiveness for our sins, but we also have strength to be fathers to the fatherless, right? Um, To be mothers to the, the motherless. The truth is, that you and I have failed to live in light of all of these things, and yet there's one who has not failed. Let me just um, mm. let me just end with one story. I'll, actually, I, I take that back. I'm going to give you a couple snippets of a couple other stories. Right? Um, I have a friend of mine. She's single, and she longs to be married and have children. Right. And she said to me once, after graduation, she said, listen, I really, really long to have children. I just, I sense that God's purpose and plan for me is to be a mom. This is where I come most alive. I love doing this. And yet the opportunity that hasn't afforded itself to actually have a boyfriend, let alone a husband, let alone children. So in the meantime, I think I'm going to spend the rest of our next couple years in my 20s being a mom to the motherless, to serving in an orphanage, Right. Um, where the ideal isn't present, God's grace is. I have another friend who uh, grew up with an absent father, and so he made up for that lack of fatherhood through really women. And in college, he actually got his girlfriend pregnant. Um, They ended up having the child, ended up fighting through and staying married, having more children. Marriage went from bad to worse to an adultery to just real brokenness. And the abundance of grace was present, and God showed up in their lives um, kind of randomly through, well, one, partly through his sin, seeing his adultery and his brokenness before God and before his wife, and then through his son who came to faith in college. (laughs) And uh, he began uh, to follow God and began to work on his marriage. And I know this doesn't happen all the time, but by God's abundant grace, his wife found forgiveness he began to be the father that he never was to his children, and he actually led his other children to faith, right? And to this day is a father at a church, an elder serving, teaching at a a school in Tennessee, um, continuing to be a father, uh, has a divine dad. He sent me a text message that ministered to my heart even this week. Um, The last story that I will share, this one might be hard to get through, but... um, I have another friend who's an architect in South Carolina, and he was also a Marine, a very tough guy. Like, for as long as I knew him, he had retired from the Marines for about 20, 20 years, and every year he'd run in the Marine Marathon, and just, just as tough as nails, right? Like, as tough as they come. Well, I didn't know all of his story until after I got to know him. Uh, at an earlier age, they had three children, he and his wife, and uh, my friend David got the, a horrid call that you, you hate to get when you're uh, a man and a father, and he got a call from the Greenville Police Department and said, your wife 
and child have been in a car accident, you need to get to the hospital right away. And sure enough, he leaves his firm, flies down the road, heads to the hospital, and the worst news of all actually happens, and he loses his, both his wife and his uh, baby, their one-year-old child. Um, the challenge was that um, he had two other children <laughs> in elementary school, so he had to go get them, sit them down, and tell them what's happened. And I'll never forget the story, because this is, um, and this will bring us to a close here. Um, <clears throat> He takes, uh, he goes to the school, takes the two children out of school. I believe they were like five and seven at the time. He takes his children and he, he's just weeping on the drive home. He can't say a word. He can't talk. Kids are freaking out. They're like, what's going on, dad? What's going on? He doesn't say a word. Um, he gets to the door of his house, opens the door, and he just falls to his knees and just weeping. And his kids are right there. And he said, this is the deal, kids. Your mom and our baby are gone. You're going to cling to me, and I'm going to cling to Jesus, and he's going to get us through. Isn't that a glorious story? I share that story with you because that's the invitation that God gives you this morning, right? It's not go work hard to be a great dad, gentlemen. It is cling to Jesus. (laughs) Allow your children to cling to you and He will get you through. You with me? That's the invitation. Let me just pray that invitation into your lives and for us this morning. If you're here and you're a dad, or better yet, you're a son or daughter who has completely blown it, like my friend Mike in Tennessee, or if world around you has blown it, I just simply want to say to you that you have a divine daddy who stands near, who is there with arms wide open, tears filled, heart overjoyed to receive you back. And so let's pray to this divine dad. Father in heaven, a lot like dad, I don't get you sometimes. I don't understand. And yet... Your invitation is clear. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, into your arms and and find rest. So, Father, for many of us, we've blown it this week. We have not been the sons and daughters that we want to be or you have made us into being. Thank you that your arms are wide open, that your heart is filled, that you are both divine and a daddy who invites us to cling to you and to walk through life with you. And so, God, would you just return us back into your arms? Father, if there are people here that this is for the first time or the, or the first time in a very, very long time, God, I pray that your spirit would be blowing through this place, causing repentance, drawing people near, empowering and strengthening, giving specific things that they know they've blown it in in specific ways in which you love and forgive and have cherished them and say, that's not you any longer. Thank you for your adoption into our arms, into your arms. Thank you for clinging to us as we cling to you and we lean to you to see all this accomplished. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.